I'm Danielle. I'm Priam. And this is Snow in the Mountains. Hey, Fran. How you doing today, my darling? Good morning. A little bit of knee pain. How about you? How's your foot? A <laughs> <laughs> little bit of heel pain. We're falling apart at the seams, lady. Yes, but Yes, we are. You know, we have a lot of responsibilities, each of us. And uh, perhaps it's just a gentle reminder that once in a while, it's okay to slow down. Um, but you know, I'm not going to slow down. I don't think you're going to slow down either. No. You've got a long way to catch up to me, too. Yeah, I do. i got a long way to go. Uh, we had a great time camping right down the road from your house this weekend. Really? Did you go down to uh, Don Carter? We did. Well, the kids and I have been spending an abundance of time down there um, over summer because, you know, it's so close by. And, of course, yeah. I love a state parks pass. I'll do anything to support our state parks. And, oh, yeah. you know, when you go routinely... I've found you don't have to make such a big production of it and you don't have to stay so long. So we've got this down to a science where it's like, you know, we're there long enough for one sunscreen application. We don't have to take any snacks with us. Um, there's not a lot of shade on that beach. So there's only so long I can last anyway. Yeah. But, um, yeah. We've been going down there quite a bit. So we thought we'd um, camp there for the first time. We love to camp, but we've just never camped there. And we had a lovely experience. It was great. Awesome site. Did you, do ki- did you take the kayaks? Uh, we did take a couple of the kayaks. Yep, we did. You know, we love to be out on the water and um, yeah, it was just, it was just a great, it was a great time. So we'll definitely um, do that again. Yeah. yeah, We'll be planning to do some, you know, camping during the week, I think. Um, yeah. That's great memories for your kids. Oh, they yeah. love it. And you know, Rowan's running around barefoot, filthy feet. Ralston's just like eating s'mores. Like he'll never get another chance in his life. I mean, <laughs> You know, no technology, totally unplugged. It's great. We always have a great time. That's right. That's awesome. Um, Well, I'm, I'm really, this case that we're doing this week, we're going to have to break this one into two, I think, because there's so much to get into just with, you know, the role that you played in this case, but then also the very deep seated history, um, that sort of brings us to the present or the present as it was um, at the time that this unfolded. So um, what year are we heading back to this week, Fran? This is July the 26th, 1980. And um, I had only been an agent now three years and I was assigned to Forsyth County, Georgia. And I received a call to come over that there was a shooting at what they call Van Tavern Park. Mm-hmm. And Van Tavern Park is right off of Highway Georgia Highway 369, yeah. uh, going from Gainesville over to Cumming, Georgia. And uh, it was pretty, um, I would say because it was told to me on the phone that a white male resident of that community had uh, shot a black male who was at the park. So uh, knowing Forsyth County's history, which we will get into in the the later episode, um, I knew this was a very serious and very dangerous case in which 
in, in the manner in which it was going to be handled. So it was um, really a, a big responsibility for me being so young to make sure things went right and everything was on the up and up and there was no question about what was going to happen. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. So um, I learned and went out to the scene that uh, Melvin Crow was arrested. Uh, his he uh, at that time was living where, when you go off of Highway 369 onto what they call Athens Park Road, uh, his residence, the, the the dirt road that goes down to Van Tavern Park, um, comes right off of Athens Park. He lived at the intersection. In other words, he was the gatekeeper for the park. That's how I will describe this man. Yeah, and, and I, I've kayaked at that park with my friend Gina. And so I know exactly, I can see is. it in my head. And I, I wonder if the house I'm picturing is the house that, that Melvin lived in. As you approach that off the main road and you take the left to go on the dirt road, mm -hmm. this house would be on the immediate right. Yeah. Yep. That's it. It kind of sits up. It's on higher ground. Right. So um, anyway, uh, Melvin had been drinking that day, as probably he did on most days. And um, he, his job in his mind was to patrol the park. He would go down there and ride around, according to neighbors and other you know, interviews that were done. Um, he would ride the park and make sure things were, you know, in order and that because that was quote his park so at this time do you know fran was the dnr um or the army corps of engineers were they involved in you know park maintenance and stuff as they are now at lake lanier not at all this was okay. just an open road no gate just people could go down there picnic fish kayak do anything like that so this is 1980 it was pretty well you know no security no you know not many signs, you know, nothing yeah. like that. Okay. So uh, this was kind of Melvin's uh, daily activity. So he and a couple other guys, um, he had a couple of guys that were visiting him that day that were also arrested um, as kind of co-conspirators. Uh, but he was the main player. He... Uh, decided that he didn't like this. He didn't like two black people, uh, African-Americans being at his park. And they and, were there uh, for a company picnic, you said, right? That is correct. Um, his uh, The gentleman that was shot was Miguel Marcelli. He was 28 years old. And Shirley Webb, she was 38. And Shirley worked at Atlanta uh, company, um, like a tech company. And it was a company picnic. She had invited Miguel Marcelli. Well, he was actually from Jamaica, and he was a city of Atlanta fireman wow. at the time of the shooting. So you're um, talking about a man who puts his life on the line to save anybody who needs his help, regardless of their social status or color, um, who is targeted by a white man for no reason at all other than his skin is black yeah That's this it. case has been difficult for me because 
it's just disgusting mm-hmm. that anybody would treat somebody else like that. So yeah, tough one to talk about. So um, Melvin uh, laid in the woods behind his house with his gun, long gun, and waited for them to come out. And um, they drove out. He shot several times and uh, hit both of them. And the car, of course, uh, ran into the, the woods or a tree or what have you. And, uh, of course, wrecked. So they both ended up in the hospital. And luckily, they both lived. So he was arrested for assault. Um, Aggravated assault. Yeah, aggravated assault. And um, went to court. And we thought we were going to have to, you know, we were going to have another situation where we would have to have a National Guard or troopers or things like that. But it was totally the opposite. Here we are in 1980. We have sensible people. We have a mixed jury. We have, you know, um, people that are also disgusted like we are that a person can even go to a picnic and drive safely down the road without someone deciding that they don't belong in that area. So the jury did find him guilty, and uh, he did go to jail. Now, as uh, history tells us, this county was very volatile. And we will get into some of that in a little bit later on. But um, I think the the hardest part for me about this case was um, I worried about Mr. Crow as well, because at that period of time in 1980, the culture of the African-Americans, they were much more uh, versed in what the laws were, and and, and I'm, I'm glad that was so. They were much more organized with their um, social activities and their their groups, and so they weren't the older generations that were abused so horribly from the early 1900s and the 1930s and the 40s and the 50s. So, and and I guess I could use the term saying that they weren't going to take it anymore, basically. And yeah, and why should they? That's right. So. it was a very tense situation. Um, as a side note, I can re- I can remember uh, just just after this case. No, it was just before this case went to trial. We had a black agent that uh, has been assigned to the Gainesville office, and. Um, it was the first time an agent had been a black agent had been assigned to Gainesville, and they had asked me to train him. He was a new guy, and so I would take him with me to different counties and to uh, you know work cases with me. So this one particular day, we got a call to go to Forsyth County, and I said, "Okay, well, 
we'll we'll attempt this. And uh, we did. We went over there and answered a call. It was, I think it was a burglary, as I remember. And it came lunchtime. And at that time, for South County, it was not developed like it is now. There was, you know, maybe oh, one sure. McDonald's. You know, there was nothing like it is today. Yeah. But there was a really good, um, there was more, uh, you know, mom and pop little restaurants that you could go in and get a nice lunch, you know, meat and a couple of vegetables and such. So on the square, and, and I had I had been asked to take a file over to the DA's office. So um, I was, we were on the square near the courthouse and it was lunchtime. So I said, uh, come on, Arthur, let's go over to, uh, let's go over to this restaurant and it's right on the square. So we walk in, which is, you know, here you have a white female and a black male. Mm -hmm. They don't know us from Adam's house cat. We're dressed in, you know, suit, business attire. And we sit down at a table. <clears throat> Everybody in there looks at us like, oh boy, I wonder if this is going to work. So we sit and we sit and everybody's in there is, you know, eating and talking and 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 then nobody ever comes to the table to wait on us. Never. What? Yeah. So uh, I see some other people come in and sit and they get their, you know, they get their menu and uh, they get their food. So I looked at Arthur. I said, Arthur, I said, uh, don't take offense to this, but we're going to have to go to McDonald's. Let's let's just go to McDonald's. So I got up. He got up and went out ahead of me. And the the server was coming out, you know, from like behind a, a register or something. Yeah. And I said, I looked at her and I said, you forgot to give us our menu, ma'am. And I walked out the door. Go, Fran. I just, I couldn't believe. <sighs> I couldn't believe. And I felt bad, so bad for him, you know. Well, and, of course. Uh, just, uh. I don't know. I came from a whole different, you know, environment. And I think in my, one of my earlier episodes, you know, I told about my father and, and how we had to, after the police, the chief of police got shot and died in my dad's arm. We, we went to New Jersey. And, yeah. When you guys moved you know, up North, we lived in a, a very wealthy black man's house. He opened mm -hmm. his door to us. He, he was like my grandfather. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's, um, good and bad in every race. And, uh, just to just label that whole situation. They didn't know me. They didn't know him. They didn't know we were in law enforcement. So that was just an example of even in 19, you know, 80, 81, it was still, mm, that's not going to happen here. Yeah. So you've experienced this firsthand in this county where now this attempted murder has taken place. And mm -hmm. this leads me back to probably the anxiety you were feeling knowing that this case could have really become something violent on a large scale um, and there was a, there was another case and this is a kind of a kind of falls into the same uh, genre that we're talking about here uh a different county habersham uh habersham county uh i got a call uh, this was about the same same year, 
might have been a year later, Habersham County called and said that um, a black man who worked at Ethicon, which is a big plant in Cornelia, uh, went to go to his truck. And um, it wouldn't start. He thought it was odd. He opened up the hood and he found two sticks of dynamite under the hood. So that investigation that I did there showed, revealed, uh, the short version is that he was speaking to a white employee female and somebody didn't like it. And so that was the message that was sent to him. Don't do that anymore. Where you're gonna, we're gonna blow up your friggin' truck. Well, and I worked that case. <laughs> so, oh, you worked. It was that still case here. Too? It was still here in the '80s. You know, they they uh, they didn't like like it, and they didn't they didn't approve of it, and they're gonna let you know. Well, um, I'm gonna save a lot of the history on Forsyth County for our next episode, but I do want to say that. You know, when we first moved to Georgia, my husband, Jay, grew up in Georgia. We met in college in Colorado. And when he sort of grew a bit, it was it was growing stale, the small business that we had in, in Fort Collins, Colorado, once we, once we graduated from Colorado State. And he wanted to do something new. And so he suggested that we move to Georgia. And he, he actually took a job here with um, a friend that he had grown up with. And we moved to Forsyth County. And we lived there for, for several years. And I remember we bought our house in Forsyth County and I was, you know, talking to my friend Bailey and she was very excited for us. And she goes, what do you know about Forsyth County? And I said, well, not much. It seems like a nice place to live. You know, it's a bit suburban for my preferences, but this is where we're at right now. And then I started doing some research and my stomach turned and twisted in knots and I mean, I remember having to sort of catch my breath because I couldn't believe the history that I was reading. Um, and, and like you said, that's not how that's not how I grew up. That's not how I was raised. I never if there was racial tension in an area that I lived, it was nothing that I was exposed to as a child, you know, because that's just not who we are. That's not how we were raised. That's not how we perceive people. So you know, today Forsyth County is not only one of the fastest growing counties in the United States, but it's also one of the wealthiest. And today Forsyth County, thankfully, is a bit more diverse. But, you know, I will say that there is still a pretty massive amount of hate in that county. Um, yes. And, you know, I know this because I have friends who are part of a drag program. Um, and they've been basically ostracized from the community. They've received mm -hmm. death threats. Um, their children have been targeted and it's absolute pandemonium when one group of people determines that for whatever reason, they are better or more deserving of, of anything than another. So, you know, these issues, while they've evolved a bit, um, but that, that targeting and that, I don't know what it is. I don't know where hate comes from, but sadly, in some ways, it's still very much alive in Forsyth County today. But 
we'll get into sort of the origins of that as we move forward in the case. Well, the, uh, I guess for me, and I don't know if I'm repeating myself from a previous episode, for me, it was um, kind of very austere to be so driven um, in hatred against these people, you know, against the race. And um, I was in shock a lot of times. And I don't, like I said, I don't remember if this is something I've already said, but I'll share it because it, it again, because it does fall into the context that we're talking about. I was um, assigned to go with Charles Stone, who was an agent that I worked with uh, when I first came on in 1976 in Gainesville. And he took me up to Union County. Now, Union County is Blairsville. Yep. And the sheriff there, his name was Harlan Duncan. And Harlan Duncan was a very, um, no, uh, you know, no games kind of guy. Mm -hmm. It was like, everything's black and white. You do what I say, you know, you know, no in trouble. He was kind of a Western kind of sheriff, you know, that, that kind of <laughs> <Yeah. guy. laughs> And, uh, he did, and he dressed that way. He, he would wear blue jeans and a sheriff shirt with a badge on it. And he had a six gun to his leg. I'm, big I'm not belt kidding. buckle. I love a big belt buckle. Yeah, and no, he had he had his his gun also, you know, string tied to his leg. Wow. So that was my first appearance of him. <clears throat> so when I went up there to meet him, because I would have you know would have had to go on up there by myself for cases, um, we met at a little restaurant in the morning, and uh, you know for the typical biscuits and gravy, which I. I really never had a tidy with the English mother mother it was always toasted child. Sure. <laughs> so so we go in the restaurant and we get our biscuits and gravy and coffee and here comes the sheriff and he sits down and Charles introduced me to him and uh he said, Well, where are you from? And I said, Well, I'm from Tybee Island. And you know, I said, You know, that's like Savannah's beach. And he looked at me funny, he said, Savannah. He said, Yeah, that's down there on the coast. And I said, yes, sir. And I said, uh, I said, well, what kind of crimes are up here? He said, well, we have a lot of burglaries at the cabins, you know, mostly kids and, you know, breaking in and drinking liquor off the, off the bars. And he said, but, you know, really, we don't have a lot of, you know, common street crimes like bank robberies or, you know, rough crimes. You know, mm -hmm. we have your typical domestic stuff. And I said to him, and I was serious, I said, well, where does the black community live here? And he looked at me and he said, if you see one, let me know. And I was in total shock. I was like, and, and the other agent was kicking me under the table on my leg. And like, shut up. Don't say anything else. I'm like, oh my God, I can't and, believe this. I, I mean, don't have any blacks in Union County. Don't have any black people in Union County. You gotta be kidding me. What, that I, and, and that was in 1977 and it when he said that if you see one let me know and i'm like I, I i was i was dumbfounded i didn't know what to say i didn't say anything i started eating my biscuit and gravy drank my coffee 
I can't like, imagine how, Charles. how hard was it for you to not only bite your tongue or not bite your tongue as you tried to eat that biscuit, <laughs> but, um, you know, these are your colleagues. And in a lot of cases, your superiors, you know, people that you're working alongside and with and taking orders from. And I don't know how you manage that. You know, Danielle, there was um, back in the day, I mean, even today, but, it's, you know, the sheriff was the law, basically. You did what he said. Uh, if you were employed by the sheriff, you were subject to doing things that may or may not have been on the up and up if you were to keep your job. Yeah, not back necessarily in, within in your own moral compass. That's right. Exactly. That's I remember cool. I remember two cases that I worked that really, as a young agent, uh, really bothered me. Uh, I'm not going to say the year, uh, but I will because some of some of the these two sheriffs family are still around and he has grant they have grandchildren. So not to embarrass them, but to just give you an example. Uh, and, and it was in one of the northern mountain counties here. Uh, one of the sheriffs, uh, who I always admired and thought was straight up, uh, I got a call to go to uh, that county that there had been a shooting in the black community. And it was an older gentleman, a uh, black gentleman had shot a young black male at his residence. I get there and the older gentleman is there with the gun and the black young black man had to be around 18, 19 years old, was hiding, was dead underneath the kitchen sink, like, oh. like trying to hide, like, uh, in the crawl space of the underneath, like you open the doors of the kitchen, he was hiding into there. So I look at the scene and the sheriff's over there talking to the older gentleman. I say older, he was, you know, probably 60. Uh, and so the sheriff comes over to me and I said, we probably should get the crime lab to come up here, sheriff. He says, oh no, no. I, I think it was uh, clearly self-defense. I'm like, what? He was hiding in a cabinet. And he was shot. He was dead. Okay. Well, now, no, there was Go that ahead. case we did last week, Dexter Tatum, mm -hmm. where we discussed the fact that one of your GBI agents, the one that had terrible aim, mm -hmm. takes one shot on accident and hits and kills a suspect. And that was going to cause an uproar because the suspect was shot in the back. That's right. And now I'm thinking this man is cowering in fear for his life under a mm -hmm. sink in a cabinet. And mm -hmm. that's that's justice. Yeah. The black the black older gentleman told the sheriff that he did shoot him. The the young man did not have a weapon. Uh, I learned at the scene that the young man was dating the older man's daughter. Oh. And it got her pregnant. So for that. He lost his life. Very sad. So I looked to the sheriff and so here I am, you know, I'm, you know, 20, 
five years old looking at a 50-year-old sheriff who has all this power. He's the one that makes the decision, not me. Right. And I'm like, mm, this is just not right. He was somebody's son as well. And so he was going to be somebody's father. Mm -hmm. And uh, just really, that has always stuck with me and bothered me a lot. And so that's what happened. They, in their own little, and that own, that black community just accepted it and they went on about their life. And I'm sure that young lady, I've really never talked about this, that young lady that had that child that had a fatherless child, uh, you know, I don't know if she ever knew that that's really, I'm sure she probably knew that's what happened, but that was the case. He, he should have been charged with something. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't right. And nothing I could do about it. Well, and I think that we know, and you know, Fran, so much of what we talk about on the pod is history, you know, yeah, and it is. A lot and of we history. do. Yeah. And we do, um, we do stray from the details of our case, uh, weekly in order to discuss what is going on in the geographical location that we are focused on because things don't just happen, you know, I mean, there's, there's There's, always something that leads, (laughs) you know what I mean? Whether it's, uh, you know, the so perpetrator's I, mentality or situation or the, you know, the history of Forsyth County leading to this racial tension in the case that we're discussing today, but it takes more than one individual. It takes, it takes a group of like-minded people to accomplish something, you know, and to make change, yeah. to make change. Yeah. And the like the way that you had to walk this tightrope with people that you worked with, whose values didn't align with yours. Um, you know, actually superior court judge, Frank Mills, the third is, um, he was the district attorney that prosecuted Melvin Crow, uh, before he ended up taking a seat on the bench as a judge in Forsyth County. Um, but he he used the phrase walking a tightrope in handling the Melvin Crow cases because of Forsyth County's reputation. So, you know, we're, we're talking about a, a 28-year-old person of color, an Atlanta fireman, shot in the neck um, while he and his girlfriend drove away from a, com- a company picnic at a park in Forsyth County, um, literally hunted by this man, Melvin Crow, hunted. He laid down in the woods with a long gun and shot them intentionally because of their skin color. And, you know, if if you can imagine, I'm sure you can, but for our listeners out there, they, the approach on this case was terrifying for people in law enforcement and people in the court system because they didn't want things to completely explode. And I'm going to read you um, a snippet from an article published Friday, March 6, 1981. And it says, if the motive and nature of this had been known by the media outside of Forsyth County at the time this happened, we would have had picketers around the courthouse, a three ring circus incoming, and we would have lost this case. This is what Judge Mills said. He said, but the community was given the opportunity to do the right thing and they did it. And I want to emphasize this is such an important detail in this case. This was an all white jury. 
this was an all white jury that convicted uh, Melvin Crow in this case. And this didn't solve <laughs> racial tension in Forsyth County as an, and as a matter of fact, things came to a head seven years later um, in 1987. And we'll get into more of that in, in next week's episode, but even Oprah Winfrey came to coming and Forsyth County to get involved in, in the, the brotherhood march yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah i was there during that were you I, really I, I was at the brotherhood march yeah i was there we'll talk about that next week that's a that's a whole different uh dangerous avenue so melvin dumb stupid melvin <laughs> i mean who just felt like he could take not even the law into his own hands what ends up happening with Melvin? I mean, I'm sure he served some time. I hope he served some time. Oh, yeah, he did. I, I don't know how much time he got. I can't remember any of, of that part of it, but um, he did. He probably got out, and I would imagine now he's deceased. I'd be surprised if he was still alive. Um, but the, one of the interesting things that uh, we'll talk about next week was... And I think you you uh, discovered that here just a few minutes ago about the relationship to Melvin Crow and his relationship to May Crow from 1912, from the original um, uh, episode of the Hanging. Yes. So, the- so 1912 in Forsyth County. Um, and again, we'll we'll save some of these details for for next week. But this is the a, a major racial conflict ensues in Forsyth County in 1912, and it was because um, a man of color was accused of raping and murdering a white woman, and her name was May Crow C R O W. Now Melvin spells his last name C R O W E. But in some of the research that I've done for this case, and this is an article, a massive spread in the Atlanta Constitution from uh, February 25th of 1987, a a big spread called White Bias in America. Um, Melvin Crow claimed to be related to May Crow. And when he was first questioned by an investigator in this case, um, he issued a quote. I can't even read every word in this quote because it's just so disgusting. He said, somebody has got to keep the blank out of Forsyth County. I'm glad it happened. I'm not going to tell who did it because I'll get burned out. And, um, you know, at that, it was a 10-year sentence he was given. Not enough. County. Mm-hmm. Not enough. Funny. Not enough. But, um this sort of vigilante mindset um, to take matters into your own hands. I, I mean, I'm sure it's not the first time you've run into things like this. Um, you know, people just feel entitled to do as they please. And and honestly, without that mental frame, you would not have been employed, Fran. If people didn't just do as they please... There would be no place for you in the GBI. (laughs) That's true. Very true. Well, I, I think we've come a long way from, from there. At least uh, 
I hope we have. And uh, there are still some of the old regimes still out there. There are, you know, we don't have KKK rallies anymore, which I used to have to supervise and go to. Uh, and it, that was, those were pretty, uh, pretty rough. Pretty and, dark uh, days for yeah. you. I can't. But, uh, you know, I think the culture has changed uh, for the better. I do. I really think it has changed. But there are a lot of the um, when, when you're lit, when you live and grow up in a family uh, that has taught you that being black, just because your skin is black, you're wrong, you're evil, you're, you're there's something wrong with you that you take that on as well. So yeah. the culture is still there for those people that were born in the 1900s to pass it to their children right. and then to their grandchildren. So it's still here. It's not as prevalent, of course, and it's dying out just through generational you know, change and death. Yeah. So uh, I think in time it will be totally gone. And... Um, I think interracial marriages change a lot of will change a lot of that as well. Good, bad, or indifferent. Well, and you know, I'll say from the perspective of a parent, and I'm I'm sure you can agree with me, if there is something you want your child to know, then you should teach them. Because if there's something that's important to you to pass along to your child, you ought to you ought to let them know before somebody else tells them otherwise. And we've got to be the strongest source of knowledge and love for our children so that they learn at home and it's ingrained into them to walk through their lives with kindness and integrity to put other people first um, when appropriate. You know, we, we have to put ourselves first sometimes like taking care of your knee or taking care of my foot injury. But um, this is true. You know, it could be as simple as if you never eat vegetables with your dinner, your kids are going to think they don't need to either. You know, it's this idea of teaching people to be good people. It's really not that it's really not that difficult. And so maybe today issuing a call to action to our, our listeners, just do something nice for somebody else. You know, take take what you've heard today and translate that into an act of kindness for somebody and and continue that trend because history always repeats itself in some way, shape or form. And the only way to learn from history is to grow and to make changes. We can't sit stagnant and we can't just pretend that terrible things have never happened. So let's go be people who make a difference you know that, that's good that's a good uh, good way to teach our young people of what our world needs to be and yeah. the the parents need to give that education to them and help them to bring it forward in the world absolutely well next week we're going to go way back in time to 1912 and we're going to tell you guys a bit about um the explosion what happened in Forsyth County of, yeah. yep the explosion of racial tension in Cumming and Forsyth County back in 1912 the year the Titanic sank to put it in mm -hmm. perspective um that's right 
and how that may have a tie to this case with Melvin Crow in 1980. And next week is going to be a lot of people doing something bad. This is it's true. This is a this is a case bigger than <laughs> bigger than you can imagine. So um, I look forward to diving into the details of that with you next week, Fran. And as always, I appreciate you educating us and uh, letting us know what it was like firsthand to be to be part of this unbelievable tragedy. Yes, ma'am. Well, we will see you guys next week. And thanks again for listening. Bye for now. Please behave. Snow in the Mountains is recorded in North Georgia by Fran Bishop and co-host and producer Danielle Eigelhart. Find us on social media at snowinthemountains.pod or email us at snowinthemountainspodcast at gmail.com. Your listens, follows, likes, and shares help our show greatly and are much appreciated. New episodes are released every Wednesday. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen. 